Well, yesterday I was in Sydney. I got up first thing in the morning and uh, went and caught the first flight out of Brisbane to Sydney for the uh, Friedman Conference there. We'll be talking about that on the next episode next week, uh, next Monday, with uh, some of uh, the guests from the Friedman Conference. But on the way home, I caught uh, the second last flight home, wanted to have dinner with some friends and, and catch up uh, there and back in the same day and uh, wanted to make sure that I didn't catch the very last flight home because uh, it needed to be kind to my long-suffering wife who came and picked me up from the airport. So I thought I'd catch a flight around uh, 7.30 or so. Got to the airport plenty of time and uh, then we find out when we get there that the flight has been delayed an hour. We're going to be sitting there for an hour message my wife and say, sorry, honey, it's going to be 10.30 before you can pick me up. Uh, and then as uh, we were about five to 10 minutes away from time to board that flight, another message came through from Qantas, who I was uh, unfortunately having to fly with yesterday. And uh, that message goes, oh, sorry, your uh, flight's been delayed again. It's now going to be another hour before you can get on the plane. Really unusual. Uh, there's obviously been lots in the news uh, about um, delays in airports and uh, baggage gone missing and, and you know huge crowds and long queues. Uh, we're told to get to the airport twice as early as we ever needed to prior to all this government policy. Uh, and that's uh, an interesting thing. Well, in today's episode, we're going to be talking uh, about what's actually going on in these airlines, what's actually causing these flights, cancellations, delays, uh, lost baggage, etc. Uh, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's actually a whole lot more going on that's actually a serious threat to passenger safety. And uh, some of our airlines in Australia have some of the best uh, aviation safety records in the world. And it's the way it should be. We should be incredibly vigilant about passenger safety and staff and crew safety. So what's happening with the crew and the pilot's safety? Well, there's a lot that's going on. Let me tell you, you're not going to be able to watch this whole episode on any of the big tech social media platforms, Facebook, YouTube. We're going to have to cut this off pretty quickly. Uh, otherwise, it will fall afoul of the senses. Here's just a taste of uh, what we're going to be talking about today. I'll give you a flick through to this and there's some text there that I'll have to uh, read as well. Dr. Kate Manderson is the Principal Medical Officer of Australia's Civil Aviation Safety Authority. Accomplished pilots and deeply experienced doctors listened to the medical advice she provided to Australian airline pilots, but none of them were satisfied with what they heard. Watch their critique and consider what you hear before you fly. We have fly. to get this message out and saying that we do have something to say, it needs to be listened to, and we need the people uh, responsible, the regulators, the airlines, they have to take notice. So we're not doing the job of screening for those at risk to capture them before they have a cardiac or neurologic event in the cockpit. Pilots genuinely don't want to come forward with medical problems, but what are you going to do when these people become unemployed because they lost their medical certificates? Operationally, these things have second and third order effects. This is when a pilot is telling you to ground them, there is something horribly wrong. And, and he just was like, I cannot fly. Something is wrong. 
is it true that um, that airlines are mandating this vaccine and the consequence of not getting it is loss of employment? And the answer to that is obviously yes. We need to have some of these markers being done on the pilots as well as many people in the civilian population. I know with certainty that large numbers of doctors are not properly reporting adverse events because they fear for their career. In fact, I think it's willful blindness. What's the remedy is the question. And I think it's voting with our, uh, our feet, voting with our dollars that people can demand of these airlines. I'm not getting in that aircraft unless there's one unvaccinated pilot. We can't get safety reports looked at. We can't, we can't get our fellow uh, pilots who are looking after workplace health and safety to look at any of this thing. They just will not look at it. So we need this message far and wide. We need to put pressure on the people who are ignoring the message. I think this period in history will go down as significant that we have the most inept business leaders and regulators in human history. But now that they're faced with something very, very serious, their uselessness has actually been exposed. The vaccines are safe, they are effective, they will stop you from getting really sick, and I encourage you to have your vaccines. That woman was just so, so poorly informed, it scares me. And she's in charge of aviation medical health. It's, it's just terrible. They're under threat of, <clears throat> of negligence, criminality, all these things. We've told them, we've told them, we've told them. Well, that was uh, just the first few minutes of a video that we'll put the link to in the show notes uh, for this episode. Uh, but we have uh, two of the people uh, joining us in, in just a minute to discuss those uh, very serious uh, details. And we'll also be joined in about 10 to 15 minutes uh, by George Christensen to uh, really explore and, and unpack uh, the responsibility, the duty of care that airlines and the Civil Aviation Safety Authority have to their staff and to the flying public. More of that in just a minute. May all that you stand for and that we stand for be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machines. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. Welcome to Pello Talk. My name is Dave Pello and hello to Beatrice Brown from Melbourne, Trish Doyle, uh, who uh, was at the Friedman Conference with me in Sydney. G'day, Trish. Louise Judd in uh, Sydney. Judy Fisher from Mackay, um, probably a fan of George. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, and, yeah, Friedman Conference was a uh, wonderful time. It's uh, Australia's biggest and best uh, liberty conference. And uh, liberty is just one of the topics we're going to be talking about today uh, because... Uh, Basically, every airline in Australia, as far as I know, um, our guests will tell me in a minute if there's any that haven't, but every airline in Australia has mandated that their pilots 
and crew all take the vaccine, uh, two or three doses. And um, I don't know what kind of uh, risk assessments they've done on that, uh, and we'll be exploring that topic. But we'll also be talking about the fact that there is consequences uh, to that advice and that behaviour and, uh, and those um, mandates on staff. And these have a very real risk of affecting passenger safety. It's certainly affecting staff safety. I'm going to be trying to be very careful about how we say what we say for the first 10 minutes before we flicked to the sensor-free mode and uh, put the rest of the show on the website only. But uh, joining me right now is uh, Captain Alan Dana, uh, who is a former Jetstar uh, training captain. Um, Alan, sorry, I actually said your name wrong after trying so hard to get it right before the show, Captain Alan Dana. Um, but he gave me permission to say it either way, so I'm kind of off the hook. But uh, Captain Alan Dana, uh, former um, training captain for Jetstar, welcome to Pelo Talk. Dave, thanks for having me on. Now, before we uh, bring in uh, Captain Glenn Waters as well, uh, just want to chat to you about what you're doing now. Um, and as far as uh, I think the brief version is, but I want you to give me the details and give our viewers the details, is you're leading a lawsuit against Qantas for unlawful discrimination, unlawful termination or loss of employment. Help me get the details right on that. Exactly, yeah. So basically now um, I'm completely uh, severed uh, employment from uh, from Jetstar. I was uh, fired for serious misconduct, and the misconduct I was accused of was uh, not following a medical direction to uh, the to follow their mandate within the company. So uh, making a personal medical choice uh, was obviously not my not my decision, and uh, they they fired me for it. So um, I'm basically sit, sitting out here in the in the wilderness and decided, okay, what am I going to do? And um, I decided to engage lawyers to pursue an action for Good on you know, wrongful dismissal. And, and through that process, there were lots of other staff members that decided to do the same thing. And just by uh, a stroke of luck, we all decided to choose the same uh, law firm. Wow. And we, we kind of basically formed a, an informal group uh, to do a group action because basically the argument was the same and the terminations were identical. Um, barring a few a few slight differences, so um, that's basically what happened to us uh, at December, January, and in January we basically had the first um, dis, um, directions hearing uh, in federal court uh, pursuing Qantas for wrongful termination. Well, we'll get more into that in just a second, but first let me also introduce Captain Glenn Waters, uh, former Virgin Australia um, pilot and, and Captain uh, Glenn, welcome to Pelo Talk. Yeah, thanks Dave, thanks for having me. Now, your particular area of expertise that you can talk to today is a lot of first-hand knowledge or, or first uh, contact with people who uh, are experiencing the, the adverse effects and, and outcomes of the employment mandate. Yeah, so what happened is, you know, when we found out that we were going to be on the wrong side of this policy, um, we found that there was a few other people and we got together. And in fact, we got together with the same law firm that Alan was with. And, um, and then we put in a letter to the company and we found uh, we had very quickly, um, we had 60 people to put their name on that letter to question the policy. 
And that grew to 100 people very quickly. And then that's when we started comparing all our notes and getting all our stories together. And we realised there was, you know, a few of us who had grave concerns about the policy, the safety effects of the policy. We heard from people who had, uh, who had tried to go along with the policy and been harmed in the process. And, uh, yeah, that quickly grew because there was no one within the company who was listening to either the concerns or the injuries. And as we approached the company, there was uh, they had no information. They were saying, we don't know anything about it. And we thought, how can this be? Um, how do I know more about the injuries and the negative effects of this policy than you do? It's, it's um, yeah, I've watched your documentary, or the half hour or 35 minute version of it. And uh, it is mind boggling how the head of medical safety for CASA is um, so uninformed that uh, the, the average person uh, who has a, an information diet outside the mainstream media should know more um, than, than that person. Um, it's, it, it beggars belief she could be so uninformed and, and so grossly ignorant of, of the, the errors she was making uh, that you, you've wonderfully clipped from a longer presentation of hers. Uh, yeah. Glenn, sorry, Alan, um, we have this comment from Karen Pickering, and she says that she would love to visit family overseas, but seriously, she's not game enough to fly. She used to love Qantas, but not since Alan Joyce took charge. Um, I, I think there's quite a few people who would say, who would share the, the latter part of that sentiment. But tell me, is there uh, a rational reason to uh, not be brave enough to fly right now? When you're flying on a passenger airliner, then you've got multiple crew members. No, so on a on a short flight, say Cairns to Brisbane, you've typically got two pilots, a captain and a co-pilot. They both have the same license. Now, our concern is that the Civil Aviation Safety Authority (CASA) are not doing uh, medical screening to see if there are any crew members on board that are suffering or may be suffering unknown effects from post-vaccination. Now, if there is an incident in flight where a pilot, it becomes incapacitated, and I have to tell you the truth, that there have been situations in the last 12 months of that happening, both at Jetstar, Qantas, and Virgin, that the other pilot is very capable and qualified to get that airplane on the ground safely. So you don't have to be concerned about that. Our concern as professional airline pilots is that if you've got one crew member taken out of the loop in the cockpit and then they suffer a subsequent malfunction with that aircraft, which is most of our training is done around malfunctions, you know, the um, being the pessimist, we take the pessimistic approach to something happening, then that mm. pilot is going to be a seriously disadvantaged at dealing with the situation. Now, the good thing with ultra long haul flights is that you have typically three, four, maybe even five pilots on board. So in actual fact, you're going to be in a lot safer situation on an ultra long haul flight than you would be on a short, short flight where the hmm. plane could be being operated by one pilot. And the other concern that we have is the pilots of single pilot aircraft. If that pilot actually has something wrong with them, then there is nobody left. And that happened in the United States just recently on a small two-seat aeroplane where the pilot actually got over the radio that he was suffering from chest pains 
and then crashed. He didn't survive that accident, but that was actually on the air. Um, so that this, this is happening. And then there was another pilot that was coming in from the Bahamas, from Freeport, Bahamas, into Palm Beach, uh, Florida. And the, the pilot suffered something, again, don't know, it's speculation. But the passenger who was sitting in the co-pilot seat, because it, was, it only required one pilot to operate, he actually was talked down by air traffic control and managed to effect a landing in Palm Beach International. So wow. there's stuff going on. And if you look at helicopters as well, helicopters typically and there have been a spate of accidents over the last few months. So to answer the question of your, your viewers, on a passenger airliner, you're going to be safe. The other person can get you on the ground safely and you probably won't even know that something happened. But should you suffer a subsequent malfunction with the airplane, which is the reason there's two of us up there in the first place, they're going to be mm. seriously disadvantaged. And that is our concern. So yeah. on a long haul trip, you know, don't put it off. You choose wisely who you, who you fly with and, and, and give your money to. Yeah. Well, as you can see, we're going to be running into very, very dangerous minefields here as far as uh, the Silicon Valley sensors are concerned. Uh, so we're going to act preemptively and uh, end the recordings here. You can stick with us for the live stream wherever you're watching. We're not going to cut that off. As soon as the live stream's finished, we're going to um, basically delete the, the old live streams, uh, make them unavailable for the sensors to review anymore. And we're going to uh, go ahead and, and just leave it with the bit that you've seen so far, the first 15 minutes. Uh, so to watch the rest of this episode, if you're watching that 15-minute uh, upload, please head over to the website now where we are censorship-free. That is goodsource.news, goodsource.news, to watch the rest of this episode with Captains Alan Dana and Glenn Waters from uh, Jetstar and Virgin Australia talking about the uh, wrongful termination of uh, airline staff, both ground and air crew, and, uh, and also the Civil Aviation Safety Authorities. Uh, failure to properly uh, assess the risk of um, post-vaccinated um, airline pilots. Um, Glenn, tell me, what's the the actual impact on on staff and uh, pilots at the moment? Yeah, right now, um, pretty much everyone knows that there's uh, just chaos at the airports. That's multifaceted. Uh, one. Um, we got used to being a casual workforce through um, COVID. They'd lock us down, stop paying us, and when they needed us again, they'd bring us back on and start paying us again. And this happened to uh, everyone across the uh, airline, the, the pilots, cabin crew, the ground crew, and all the support systems behind that. So as we started ramping up out of the uh, COVID pandemic stage, uh, they use that opportunity to just cut all our pay and conditions and workers on a casual basis. For so many staff, that was just not sustainable. They couldn't work on a part-time basis or a, where they didn't know when their next paycheck was coming. And now that they'd cut pay and conditions, they've just sought uh, opportunities elsewhere and said, look, airlines no longer provide that stable work environment. We had a lot of retirements. We had a lot of um, staff who just went on to other other work and never came back. So 
we lost all those. Then we had the mandate and people were going, well, why do I want to stay here and work for minimum wage as uh, most of our baggage handlers are just on minimum wage when I also have to um, take this procedure as well where I can just go work somewhere else. I can get the same money where I don't have to. So we've lost a whole lot of people, just as we lost thousands of um, teachers and thousands of nurses and paramedics. We lost thousands in behind the the, um, airline support structure, the transport, uh, hotels, everything was affected. Then when we come back to work, um, nothing is working well. It's taken them too long to ramp up the um, crew. You know, a pilot can take months to get up online cabin crew, you know, weeks, four weeks, um, and even baggage handlers, you, you get them in uh, and you can teach them how to do their job, but if they're not doing it properly um, because they don't have the experience and they're not scanning those bags correctly, then you're not getting the right load sheet, and that's another safety concern. Airlines run on a whole teamwork of people working together well and not only knowing their own job well, but knowing how their job affects everyone else's job. And we don't have that synergy in the airlines right now. And you're seeing the chaos because of it. The other thing is that uh, because it's it's tough, it's stressful, the passengers are upset, there's a lot of angst out there, it's getting harder and harder for the people who are left at the job. Now they're dealing with um, more aggressive passengers, they've got more rules to apply, mm. and, and now they're getting paid less to do it. So they're going, we had enough of that we're out of here why should we stick around and do that and the more people who are leaving is obviously making it harder and harder for those who are left behind yeah um glenn sandy kelly says 100 percent, i will never fly with airlines that force this on their staff is there any airline that we can choose from that is not mandating uh vaccinations and booster jabs on on any of their staff this is an incredible thing with Australia. There is no choice. Every single airline mandated the vaccine on the exact same day. It was coordinated wow. right across. In fact, uh, I was just reading uh, American Airlines, uh, the story of Bob Snow, same day in American Airlines. Um, tell me that's not coordinated. So, no, in, in Australia, wow. you do not have a choice. Uh, if you get on an Australian airline, those pilots are vaccinated most of them are triple shot and um, and that's been the requirement and they're pushing to keep going four, five, six. Wow. We're, um, we've got lots of comments coming in uh, thanking both of you gentlemen for your honesty, your bravery for, for speaking out. Um, Alan, we have this comment uh, from Andrew Bannister that says pilots keep their aviation GP separate from their personal GP. Uh, is that happening? Is that common? It, it, it is very common. And the reason that we, that we do that is when we get our pilot medical certificate, which is a class one for an airline pilot, um, we have to go to an authorised medical examiner or, or a designated authorised, so a DAME, um, an ordinary GP, unless he's done the aero medical um, qualifications, then he can't um, be part of that. So... Ordinarily, uh, in normal course of life, you'd, you'd have your family practitioner um, who you'd see for certain complaints. And if there's something that could be flagged by your DAMI, your designated aviation medical examiner, 
you have an opportunity to um, recover from that, whatever it may be, and uh, all is well. But if there's something that is that persists for longer than five days that could have uh, an effect on your pilot medical certificate, then you are required to basically self-certify and ground yourself um, because that redu removes your, your medical privileges. And this is one of the safety stops that uh, CASA have introduced to um, keep pilots that might be suffering from any affliction on the ground. But typically, you know, most of the ailments that a healthy individual like myself and other pilots uh, will get is just the odd cold, the ache or pain, you know, something that, you know, more of, a, more of an inconvenience than something that would be safety related. And if you were constantly going back to your DAMI, your medical examiner, uh, for afflictions, you could be grounded and and uh, put back in operation, you know, all the time. It would just it would just be ridiculous. So yes, we do typically have a family practitioner and our aviation medical uh, practitioner are are separate. But um, usually it's not a problem, and um, we've got a, a vested interest in the safety of the flight that we're actually going to be in command of, because we're on board. So it really is something that we take seriously. Um, mm -hmm. our own personal medical health, uh, which is why Glenn and I have stood up and we're speaking out that there are, are issues that we need to raise. Because if we're concerned, then you should be concerned if you are not an aviator. So that's, yeah. that's yeah. Alan, um, yesterday, uh, for those people watching, uh, yesterday I was flying back from Sydney um, to Brisbane and, and prior to COVID, I, I've done a fair bit of flying around Australia. And um, I, I've never experienced extraordinary delays um, in, in domestic flights, um, except for maybe a, a really crazy time of year, like the end of school holidays and, and everybody's coming all at the same time. Um, but those, you know, have, have obvious causes. But yesterday I was delayed for an hour and then another hour, a, a 7.40 boarding time ended up being a, a 9.40 boarding time and, you know, arriving at 9.30 at night, in Brisbane turned into arriving at 11.30 at night uh, back in town. Uh, Captain Alan Dana, is that because uh, a couple of people uh, in one particular crew or two crews in a row caught COVID or is there possibly a more likely um, cause behind that? Well, I had a call from a, a crew member who's still working who, was, um, who took the jabs to stay employed the other day. And he basically said there is so much um, bad morale within the organization, the worst he's ever seen in his entire career, and I tend to agree with him, that when they go to work, they basically have a thought to themselves, what can I do today that I won't get in trouble for that will make the airline look bad? I mean, that's what he said to me. Are so where there's, an where there's an opportunity to cause additional pain, unfortunately, it inconveniences passengers unbelievably, but it also um, it, it's, it, get, it gives them an opportunity to get their own back because there's, you've got no power left. They feel completely powerless. And that's like how many of us felt throughout the whole pandemic with the lockdowns and everything that was going on to us, being locked out of coffee shops and all that. We just felt completely powerless. And now that they're back to work, the airline, Jet, Jetstar, actually decided to put on 110 percent of their normal capacity. That's what they sold as tickets, more than they could actually operate because they've got rid of so many of their staff. That was insanity. 
you know, to put on 110% when you've got rid of, you know, 20% of your workforce is ridiculous to start with. Now, once the airline starts experiencing some delays, either through positive tests and crew and staff, ground staff as well, having to isolate, that causes a knock-on problem for that particular flight. All that you need is one more staff member to say, oh, I'm positive, and the whole thing has to be cancelled. And that's happening with baggage handlers, that's happening with the pushback tug drivers, that's happening with the check-in staff. Every staff member throughout that whole experience going through an airport and getting on an airplane, they're all going sick or they're not cooperating, they're not showing up on time, they're not doing the overtime, they're not staying later when ordinarily they would. The goodwill is completely evaporated and staff now are using the opportunity to basically get their own back uh, when they can. And there was a captain that I spoke to the other day. He said at midnight, he looked on his rostering rostering portal on the computer to see who he was supposed to be flying with the next morning for an early flight. There was still no co-pilot rostered. So he knew that, that the crewing operations managers would have been running around in the background looking at all the available qualified type rated crew that were rested that could be used for that flight. They finally found someone. Um, when he when he got up out of bed in the morning to go and get ready to go to the airport, he saw that there was now a first officer there. He thought, okay, I'm going to go sick now. So that's what wow. he did. He said, I've just done a positive rat test, and now that flight had to be cancelled because there's no way within two hours the company would have been able to find a replacement captain for that particular trip. So I know for a fact, and if Alan Joyce is listening, this is happening and this has been created by management. They have done this to their staff because many of our colleagues and friends who are still at the company, they have seen what's happened to us. They have seen what's happened to members of their own family in, in businesses that outside of aviation. And why would they help? Why would they help an organization that has treated people so poorly and almost, you could say, criminally? Mm-hmm. Why should they help? And this is, this is what's happening. Qantas and Jetstar's management have invested in the morale of their employees, and this is where it comes back to bite them. And unfortunately, it's just causing misery for the staff, and it's causing misery for the traveling public. It's just a terrible situation. Indeed. You, you reap what you sow, as uh, one very wise uh, book has said. Uh, joining us uh, today on Pello Talk is Captain Alan Dana, uh, who's in centre of screen right now, as well as Captain Glenn Waters. Uh, Captain Alan Dana is a former Jetstar training captain and uh, Captain Glenn Waters, a former Virgin Airlines captain, and uh, both of them have been um, completely severed from their employment with their respective airlines because uh, they could not give informed consent to the experiment, uh, the experimental gene therapy, which their employers were attempting to force on them. Uh, And what we're hearing them describe right now is the culture of bullying, which has proliferated in these organisations and the way that their staff are responding. No, they're not all genuinely sick and that's not the cause behind the massive delays. It's actually a deep culture of uh, resentment that has been bred um, from staff uh, towards their employers who are such uh, overt and remorseless bullies 
um, to the people that they're meant to be caring for. Also joining us now is uh, former Federal Member of Parliament, George Christensen. George, welcome to Pello Talk. Thanks very much, David. Uh, sorry to hear the stories of uh, both of these pilots. Uh, they should be thanked for uh, keeping us safe up in the air, but rather they've been cast uh, to the uh, scrap heap because, as you say, they wouldn't take this uh, medical, this gene therapy, this experimental gene therapy that's masquerading as a vaccine. And I got to say that um, while these, uh, you know, woke airlines, which is what they've all become, so this, uh, this, this, this whole uh, mandate gets pushed into the category of almost uh, uh, virtue signalling. Uh, who really is at fault here, David? I believe are the politicians. Because mm -hmm. I pointed out, and I don't want to make this about me, but I, I got to tell you, I know the facts. I pointed out to the then Prime Minister uh, back in 2020, December of 2020, that this was coming and that if the statement that uh, these uh, so-called vaccines uh, are not to be mandatory was to hold true, that there had to be legislation in place to ensure that people like these two great pilots uh, were not victims of corporate mandates, but instead yes. they let it go through to the keeper. And I could only think that that was deliberate uh, so that the government, the federal government, could hold up its lily white hands and say that, look, we're not to blame for this. This is uh, uh, something that's been done by a private company. It is not on, I have said uh, so many times, that employees are no longer the chattel of their employers. And so bodily autonomy, uh, it, particularly when it comes to medicines, should not be uh, something that that private corporations are authorised to uh, to mandate on their on their workers. It's just right. wrong, and I, I I hope that the legal cases that these two gentlemen are pushing, along with a host of other employees, I hope that they result in success and justice because it needs to be done. Yep. Uh, for those who are watching, um, Joanne asks the question, uh, she can't see the comments, where are they? You might be talking about the fact that we're actually live streaming to multiple channels, uh, Joanne, and so you, you'll only see the comments and the viewers who are on the same channel as you. So we're going to George Christensen's Facebook page, my Facebook page, the Good Source Facebook page, a bunch of YouTube videos, Rumble as well. Uh, and, uh, of course, um, for those of you who are watching the live stream, this video will only be available in full on the website by the time it's finished. You don't need to go anywhere right now, though. Um, it, it will um, be, be staying in the live stream until finished. Um, at, at, we think we can run the gauntlet with the sensors uh, for an hour or so. Um, another comment, I'll see if I can find it uh, quickly. Um, Alan, um, uh, there's a lady who says, I hope you do sue. Uh, and of course, that's what we're talking about today is the fact that you actually are suing. Um, here we go. Helen Erhart says, uh, nobody should have lost their jobs. Um, and that's why you're suing Qantas uh, right now. Can you tell us uh, the legal merits of your case, um, that the pros and cons, the likelihood of success, uh, what your lawyers uh, are saying um, is your best angle of attack and, and perhaps the defence that uh, Qantas is likely to mount um, in justifying uh, this wrongful termination of, of your employment and, and so many people like you? 
Yeah, well, the, the key the key point which everyone needs to understand is that if you're an, a permanent employee on a permanent contract or an EBA, your terms and conditions of what you have to do to stay employed is written and signed by the company and by the employee. Now, bringing in the mandate requiring a medical intervention which has never been done before in history and making your continued employment contingent upon you having that medical intervention was a serious and significant change to an existing EBA. Mm-hmm. And under the Fair Work Act, any business, not just aviation, any business is required to offer that change to the employee. It has to be ratified and signed for your acceptance. Now, many of my colleagues just looked at the demand from the company, went along, and gave their basically implicit acceptance of the change and got vaccinated. For those of us that didn't go along and get vaccinated, the company is required under that Fair Work Act to get our explicit acceptance by the way of a signature. Now, they didn't do that. So in actual fact, our case rests around breach of contract because they have got rid of us for something that wasn't in our terms and conditions. They just introduced this as a policy. Well, by virtue of the fact that it was a policy that would have that would have had irreversible um, implications, mm-hmm. that is a serious and significant change. So they're trying to say that this is just an insignificant thing. It's not. It really is quite significant. We don't even have peanuts on the aircraft because somebody might have an anaphylactic reaction. That's right. You know, but they, they're quite happy for us to take this experimental, provisionally approved, as per the TGA's own definition on their website. Provisionally approved does not mean approved. The company couldn't answer any questions about the risk or benefits. They just had beliefs. We believe this is a way of getting back to normal. We believe this is a way to end the cycle of lockdowns and restrictions. But so, so the breach of contract is the, it is the big one. And that is the same for anyone, no matter where you are. If your company has got in writing that you have to have this or you're going to be terminated, they've actually threatened you. And there is a question on whether or not that actually falls into the criminal jurisdiction because that becomes a threat with malice. You know, you are going to suffer an injury, whether it's physical or financial, from losing your job if you don't do something. So, you know, when you go down a street in New York and a mugger comes to you and says, if you don't give me your wallet, I'm going to, going to stab you, that's a threat with malice. You're going yep. to lo- you, you stand to lose something. And this is the same thing. This is, this is bullying. Quite, quite frankly, and that's why we're, we're going for, for the breach of contract, because that way we can get away from the argument about the vaccines, what's in them, the efficacy, the safety. We're not on that. As a private company, okay, you can do whatever you want to do, but if you bring in a significant change like this, then it needs to follow the Fair Work Act, word for word, and they did not do that. Is so there a danger? Can I- Sorry, George, you go. Sorry, is there uh, a danger in that argument um, that you win the case, let's say Qantas, Jetstar, uh, Virgin, just simply go back to the drawing board, uh, try to follow the uh, the rules as set down by Fair Work, and you end up in the same spot 
anyway. Quite possibly, but the, if you explore it further, many of the changes that have been brought um, through following the Fair Work Act have to go via the union. And the union is a collective bargaining organization. Now, you can do collective bargaining if you're changing the crew, crew meal on a trip from Sydney to Honolulu, no problem. You can change by, by collective bargaining, you know, moving from a four-star hotel to a three-star hotel because the company's on hard times. Those are external factors. When you go into the medical field, you have to follow the medical standard operating procedures. And every medical procedure has an individualized risk. You have no idea if you're going to mandate something for you, as for me, on whether or not it's going to have the same effect. And yeah. that clearly is what's happening. So the Fair Work Act only really deals with collective bargaining issues. Because these, this, these airlines and businesses have wandered into the field of expertise that is not their remit, i.e. medicine, and mandated a medical procedure, they have to follow the medical organization's procedures of individualized risk assessments on, and testing and baselining to see whether or not you could be susceptible to any possible adverse reactions, no matter how rare they may be, you could still have a reaction. And that is why we do not have peanuts on board airplanes today, and we don't allow peanut butter sandwiches in kindergartens and children's packed lunches. It's mm. just insanity. I think that's such a powerful uh, example of real world uh, risk management is, is that uh, banning of peanuts on on airlines uh, it's it, it's just it's just there and, and that's not even taking into account the fact that uh, there's that's to mitigate an accidental exposure what the airlines are doing is deliberately introducing this risk uh, in, into people without knowing what their reactions uh, etc are going to be like um, Alan is there any uh, give me a sense of of the Qantas defense, um, what are they likely to, to use to justify their actions and, and to uh, refute the, the accusations of breach of contract? Well, their whole, their whole uh, mantra has been, you know, we need to do this to get back in the air. And it's just like, well, why? You don't have to follow the, the state mandates or, or the governmental mandates to be able to get, get back flying again. They're trying to tell us on one hand that there's a serious, dangerous pandemic out there that we all need to be concerned about, but we want to get back to making money, so we want you to do this. So what is it? Is it money or is it safety? Because this, if it's yeah. safety and, and you've got the possibility of infringing people's human rights under the, under the uh, Australian Human Rights Act, there's a possibility that you could be breaching work health and safety because you've wandered out of your lane of expertise of aviation and wandered into the lane of expertise for the medical organizations and you're not doing individualized risk assessments. If, if you're going to go into that, you, you've got to be justified that what you're doing is not going to put you at risk legally on all these other laws that you were going to infringe on your workforce. So it would have been better to keep the aircraft parked and the pilots on the ground if there was such a serious, dangerous situation out there and your only motivation of getting back into the air was making money, what is it? Yeah. So yeah. That's, their, that's their justification. We want to make money. We want to get our bonuses. And you've got to take these experimental jabs 
so that we can do that. And if you don't do it, you're going to get fired. Really? Well, Alan Joyce basically said uh, quite early on, if you don't think that getting this vaccination is for you, then maybe aviation is not the career for you. I want to ask him, how many lives has he saved with, in his experience? I used to fly search and rescue missions off of the coast of Cuba, looking for rafters that were trying to make it to Florida. We saved people's lives with the experience that I had. I used to fly in the Caribbean to remote islands that onto runways at night that had no lights to save people from, from car accidents in remote places, you know, women that were giving breech birth, you know, to, to rescue people, to save their lives from the experience that I've got. And he's got the audacity to say to me, aviation is not for me. Mm. How many people has he saved? I don't think very many. So I'm, I'm pretty fired up and uh, he's, he's bitten off more than he can chew. And his justifications for what they've done to us is unjustifiable. Yeah, we can see you're fired up, Captain. Uh, the uh, the whole thing has been about uh, money from the very beginning, I think. And, uh, uh, you know, obviously the, uh, the the big profits that big pharmaceuticals are making. But uh, in this instance, it seems to all be about money and to hell with the consequences as well. Um, I just wonder with the, the, the case that you've got going, uh, is it before the Fair Work Corporation or Fair Work Commission rather? No, we're actually now into federal court, but federal it is under court. the fair and under the fair work jurisdiction. So yes. Okay. And so, at what stage of the case is it? Uh, wh 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 where are we at with it? We just literally had a directions hearing a few days ago, mm -hmm. and the um, the judge actually asked Qantas. He said, "Well, mandates are dropping on a uh, national basis. There's no more mm -hmm. requirements for people coming into Australia to have the vaccine." And um, what's the possibility of a mediation? Qantas said categorically that the mandates that they have are going to stay in place. 24 hours later, we get the notification that Qantas are no longer going to require vaccinate, double vaccination for international passengers on their aircraft. So, mm. but it's staying for, for staff and crew. So well, they, yeah. isn't, isn't that some sort of uh, bizarre uh, hypocrisy is not the right word, but it's, it's certainly a confusion that uh, uh, the vast bulk of people that are going to sit inside that tin box that flies in the sky are, uh, are not going to be, well, don't have to be vaccinated, uh, uh, don't have to be boosted, certainly, but you guys do. Uh, that's got a factor into the... Uh, of into course, the of course. So this is the situation. Qantas have never required it domestically. Mm. So you can, you can buy a ticket from Cairns to Sydney on an aeroplane that could be doing the trip from Sydney to Singapore, the same aircraft, and you can do the sector to Sydney, but you can't do the same. Yeah. Mm. I notice and some of our listeners are saying it doesn't make sense at all. It's bizarre double standards. I mean, it is bizarre. There is a degree of complete lack of logic to this. Um, you know, if an unvaccinated person uh, can get on a plane um, and, and you know, potentially pose a risk, which we know is complete nonsense anyway, but potentially pose a risk mm -hmm. to uh, a vaccinated staff member on a plane, um, then what is the difference uh, with, with yourself being there? Uh, who's unvaccinated. So it doesn't make sense. And as I said, the only thing that 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 I really um, think 
is the is the basis behind all this is some form of of really bizarre virtue signaling uh, because you know to, to to be against COVID has become like this uh, uh, virtuous uh, moral superiority moral superiority correct correct and and, and uh, again it, it, that will not hold up in court I would hope I would hope and the questions and and what you've just outlined from the judge there gives me cause for hope that uh, uh, that it won't end up that way. I just wonder, uh, along with these arguments about the illogicality of what the airlines have done here, uh, doesn't the declining efficacy, um, in fact, what we know now is almost the complete lack of efficacy, both in, uh, in the data that we see um, from, from uh, evaluations of of these uh, so-called vaccines through to the real world experience where we're actually in some jurisdictions seeing more vaccinated people being hospitalized than non-vaccinated people. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, that probably delves into an area outside of your employment agreements and contracts, but surely that has got to play into these deliberations. Companies just can't go and do what they like in this regards, neither can governments. Uh, it's all got to be um, uh, logical and sensical. Uh, this, if it's got a declining rate of efficacy or limited efficacy, mm. then the question does beg, well, what is the purpose behind this, uh, this rule? Yeah, George, at, at the time I was terminated, um, I'd recovered from COVID and I'd had my temporary contraindication. So that's um, that certificate that allowed me to fly everywhere, allowed me to leave the country, come back into the country, fly to Perth, go to the ICU, visit uh, the mm -hmm. ICU in Perth. But it, they didn't think I was safe to hop on the aeroplane. Only as the pilot. I could hop on the plane. I could buy tickets and fly everywhere that I would have been rostered to uh, and sit down the back. I just wasn't uh, safe to be on that aeroplane if I was at the controls. Uh, so, so, so this is the expert group in the country that has given directions to to everyone basically that having COVID means that you have some level of protection against a future case of COVID. Therefore, you get a number of months. I think it's three or four months now yeah. um, where you don't have to get vaccinated to uh, uh, to 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 meet whatever rules that any government or corporation has in place. But these airlines think that they're smarter than the expert group in Australia on this. They do. They do. In fact, <laughs> I I had a certificate from my Damey saying um, don't have a shot for a few months because of the hyperimmune response, which he was aware of, which killed a person that he knew. So he said, just hang back a couple of months, <laughs> even before you consider it. And, wow. and then the company said, well, you either take that risk or you're terminated. So yeah. I I took the termination, thank you very much. Oh, and, and then we had um, a couple of weeks later, mind you, three days after I was terminated, um, a, a captain had a heart attack six minutes after landing. And they now wow. know that it's from the vaccine. And so we're bringing this uh, information to them. Where, where was that? Can we dig more into that? Yeah, or, that was uh, um, that was in Dallas. Um, right. It was Captain Bob Snow um, on a Denver to 
Dallas-Fort Worth, flying in an A320, had 190 passengers on board. He started uh, suffering symptoms. He was landing. He landed the plane, taxied to the gate, offloaded the um, passengers. He got to get up out of his seat. That's the last thing he remembered. And uh, he he died, actually. He was dead, clinically dead, and it took three oh, wow. shocks to bring him back. And the, his story is amazing because... He's alive he, now. He's alive now. The company has stopped talking to them, to him. The union stopped talking to him. And he's going, what's going on? I... <laughs> I've just suffered this major medical event. I've lost my medical. I can't fly anymore and I have zero support. There's no liability from the pharmaceuticals. He's got no support from his union. Um, and this is exactly what we're talking about. We well, know well, he's, he, he, he is an inconvenient truth now to the big lie. And the big lie are three words, safe and effective. Safe and, and effective. Uh, and... and, and yeah, he proves that that is not the case. Are you aware of any similar instances in Australia, even uh, just anecdotally through the grapevine? Yes, we are. We've um, we've we've heard a number of situations, uh, and we do know that you know since the vaccine rollout, we've seen heart attacks and strokes in our pilots, in our cabin crew. Um, whether they've attributed it to the vaccine, that's a bit incidental at the moment because what we do know. Um, CASA have this um, pharmacovigilance. They say the whole vaccine, uh, it's not our, um, that's not for us, that's for the uh, TGA to sort out. So they have pharmacovigilance to say, well, they're monitoring it. Well, yeah, they are monitoring it and the report is terrible. We've got blood clots, we've got myocarditis, we've got heart attacks, all these things are coming out and that's the red flag that should be going off to them saying, okay, they've reported on this. Now what are you going to do it in the, in the context of aviation? Because uh, it's just not safe uh, having a heart attack or a stroke when you're at the controls mm. of an aeroplane. Um, so it's, it, it's fascinating that they're still just saying, we've written letters to them and saying, well, you understand it. And in fact, Kate Manderson has come out and she said, I know, I know we have, um, we have these re adverse reactions we've had. We know that myocarditis can come from the vaccine. We understand that. And we say, well, what are you doing about it? Mm -hmm. or, or nothing. They're saying, well, it's rare. It's rare. Well, the, um, of course, the, the chances of Titanic going down was rare. Uh, that what happened to those two um, 787 Maxes, that was a rare situation. But, hey, what? They, they did something about it, right? They investigated and looked into it. This is where we, we've, we hit a stone wall. They will not look uh, or investigate or even monitor any of this themselves because they just say that they handball it to someone else and you'll see the TGA handball it to the FDA the yeah. FDA say, well, it's the pharmaceuticals, and then the pharmaceuticals come out and say it's safe and it's effective. That comes all the way back down to the line. And when we say we know people who have been injured, we know pilots. In fact, that's why I was hesitant in the first place because I had um, colleagues who'd lost their medicals after taking the vaccine. I didn't want that to happen to me because we put an awful lot into our licences. We don't want to lose our the ability to fly so it's one thing losing a job. It's a whole other thing losing your whole career 
based on the fact that the company just say it's safe, it's effective, you will do this. Yeah. I yeah. um I, I gotta say, David, that uh I have absolutely no faith in the uh TGA to uh to do the right thing in terms of assessing these deaths. I mean, uh along with the um bizarre conflict of interest that they've got there, I mean they're out there actively promoting uh, these vaccines while at the same time supposed to being be being the reviewer and regulator of the vaccines. That's a conflict in and of itself and possibly other conflicts that people could talk about. Uh, but um, I actually wrote to the TGA to ask about uh, how they determine uh, cause of death because we had a long list of reported deaths at the time that I wrote to them. Uh, I think at the time that I wrote to them, there were several hundred. We're now probably up to close to a thousand uh, reported deaths, maybe even more than that. I haven't checked lately. but. Uh, at the time of writing, which was um, July 2021, uh, the uh, the number of deaths that they had officially linked to uh, to the vaccine were in the single digits. I think probably about eight. It was eight. And yeah. I, I, I question, well, how uh, you know? Can you can you categorically say to me that the other mm -hmm. several hundred deaths are not related? to the vaccine categorically can you rule it out as a primary secondary tertiary any cause of death and um, not only did they not answer my question but they did outline um, what seemed like a very complicated process that they go through in determining causes of death and it seems that the first hurdle that they pass uh, is that they do this um, really weird statistical analysis where they look at what would be the ordinary number of deaths from a particular condition, say heart attacks or strokes. Uh, they look at uh, what has been the case in the recent month or week or whatever. And if it's above or below, um, the way that they wrote this to me, it seemed like they just said if it's below or if it's at that level, then there's nothing to see here. There didn't seem to be an individualized case by case analysis of these deaths. Now, if I'm wrong, I'd really like the TGA to come out and say that I'm wrong, but I've got the letter from them that indicates that. And I asked them further, uh, do they have uh, coronial evidence? Do they have autopsy evidence? And uh, the answer was that, um, no, that's done by other parties. So how on earth, if they're not even looking at autopsies, um, do they determine that, that those several hundred deaths had absolutely nothing to do with the vaccine. So uh, I think there's a lot of whitewashing going on with that agency. I really do. Yeah, absolutely. Alan, before we uh, wrap up, uh, we're coming close to the top of there and need to bring this in for landing. Uh, what is the action being brought against CASA and, and its likely uh, prospects of, of success or effectiveness? Well, the Aussie Freedom Flyers um, was an organisation that was set up basically to help the Magnificent 24 through their court case. And around the world, seven other Freedom Flyer organisations have sprung up. We've got the uh, Navigant Libras, which is the French version of the Freedom Flyers. We have the A Airliners for Humanity in Switzerland. Um, the Dutch one I can't pronounce. Uh, the UK, UK, UK Freedom Flyers and uh, the US Freedom Flyers. Now, we've all teamed together under the banner of the Global Aviation Advocacy Coalition. And that organization is, is set up with basically guys like myself 
and uh, other, other aviators. And uh, we are pursuing the regulators in each of those countries to do their job. They all operate under an act of their local parliaments or government sanction. And they are required to uh, hold a higher medical standard for airline pilots and pilots in general than ordinarily would be the case for other industries. Because of the severity of air accidents, particularly in large aircraft over metropolitan areas. So we are actively pursuing um, some serious uh, letter writing. We have doctors, ph uh, pharmacologists, we have uh, cardiologists uh, in our groups as well who are advising us on the medical aspects. We've got myself and Glenn and others who are advising on the aviation side of things. And we ha also have lawyers as well that we're working with uh, drafting letters to the uh, civil aviation authorities in respective countries to get them to literally do the job that they are paid to do. So that's the uh, Global Aviation Coalition. So you can find their Substack. Um, there's a link on the Aussie Freedom Flyers website and there's a newsletter there that's free. And we basically do updates on what's going on around the world and uh, contacts and exactly what's happening. So that's uh, an important one to follow. And also the uh, Twitter pages as well. So the, uh, there'll be Twitter links there too. And uh, any new links that we come up with will be posted um, and you can get into a conversation with us. But um, that's, the, that's the main thrust uh, for the Aussie Freedom Flyers at the moment is, uh, is getting CASA to do what they're paid to do um, because yeah. there is a problem out there that needs, re needs resolving and needs answers. And with George's assistance as well, you know, we'll pass you the letter and you can, you can send a copy of that in too because it asks the questions that need to be asked from an aviation e expert's point of view um, that they should answer. You know, we, we yeah. pay them after all. Nicole Castle asks, what is the website? And the website is aussiefreedomflyers.com. Uh, for those people on the podcast, that's A-U-S-S-I-E. Freedom Flyers, F-L-Y-E-E-F-L-Y-E-R-S, AussieFreedomFlyers.com. There's no AU on the end of that. Um, so make sure you head there. You'll find links on that website to the other associations as well as some of the uh, short documentaries. Uh, they've got a two-hour movie reduced down to half an hour, so it's condensed and it's action-packed. It's full of the, the nuggets of information that you want to listen to. So go and watch that. It's on Rumble. It's uh, sensor safe. So um, that's a good place for things to be. I'd like to figure out how to buy shares in Rumble uh, and support them. They're, they're doing great work. But um, George and uh, gentlemen, last comments before we uh, wrap it up. Um, is there anything else uh, you, you'd like to say? George, you first. Well, all I'll say is uh, more power to the pilots here uh, and all of the staff that are fighting these uh, vicious mandates, uh, they are not ethical. Uh, they should not have happened. And I just say again, there has been a failure at the very top in Australia, a failure from the politicians that are supposed to serve the people to stop uh, employees of any organisation from basically being uh, akin to the old sort of slavery chattel relationships that they had with their bosses. Uh, we don't mm. accept that anymore, and uh, medical procedures should not be forced upon employees. That's that's it. Absolutely. And uh, Captain Glenn Waters, a former Virgin pilot, um, Virgin Australia, thank you for joining Palo Talk today. Uh, any final comments from you or anything that uh, we should have included? And now's the chance. 
I just uh, just saw one of the comments from uh, one of your listeners, um, Matthew, who worked with Rio Tinto, who got fired two days before they dropped the mandate. And this aggressive uh, going after mm. employees is what we've seen. I've seen cabin crew who were injured from the first shot and then sacked because they wouldn't take the second one, still injured. Um, I've seen people who were affected by floods just terminated while they're underwater. Uh, and wow. the companies would give you one year, two years, three years just to, to have leave without pay to go do a career break. Uh, maternity leave, all those things uh, were available for everything else except this. If you want to sit back and think about this one, no, you're terminated. So a lot of people are really hurting from this and they they will never trust a corporation with a uh, a human remains, sorry, a human resources department ever again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely sad. Uh, Captain Alan Dana, uh, former Jetstar training um, captain, um, thank you for your time on Pellet Talk today. Thank you for your bravery, speaking out and, and leading the charge, um, trying to bring a uh, an achievement of, of justice um, to this corrupt world that we live in. Um, really appreciate your, your leadership and, and voice in that area. Um, any final thoughts from you and, and how can viewers best support um, the actions that you're um, involved in and, and aware of? Well, the aviation, we think, is the Achilles heel of this whole fiasco that's going on at the moment. You've got the very, very highly skilled workforce that are very, very difficult to replace. We cost a fortune to train. The aircraft that we, you know, like the one behind me here, millions and millions of dollars to purchase them and millions of dollars to train us and keep us safe so that everyone gets where they want to go. So, and the cohort of pilots particularly are the healthiest people in society. So if there's something going on with our cohort, it's, it's obviously going to be magnified throughout the, the, whole, the whole of the society. And because aviation is, is, can be risky, if you introduce an unknown risk, it needs to be looked at seriously. So we're in the fight of our lives. This is obviously a historical situation that none of us have ever had to face before. There's no manual on what to do next. And we are fighting. I'm fighting because... I've got to make sure I show a good example to my 19-year-old son so that he can see yeah. that his dad stand, stands up for what is right. This is absolutely wrong. And if you'd like to support us and your listeners, what we're asking is come over to the AussieFreedomFlyers.com website, click on the Magnificent 24, and just donate the price of a coffee if you can afford it. And those funds we will use in our court action because it's getting quite expensive. And we will be over the line. There, there's enough support in Australia that we will be able to take Qantas to task. And if we get their mandates dropped within the Qantas environment, it will drop across the country. And that is significant. Yeah, brilliant. Well well said, gentlemen. And thank you very much for uh, joining the show today. Great episode with uh, a great number of viewers and, and comments involvement. And thank you to the viewers for your encouragement and, and support for these brave gentlemen and, and the people that they're uh, speaking on behalf of. Uh, thank you very much. Um, well, thank that's you. it for this episode of Pellow Talk. Um, and thank you very much to George Christensen for uh, being a, a regular host and hosting us um, on his uh, Facebook page as well. If you'd like to support George Christensen, head to nationfirst.substack.com and uh, 
you don't just support the work he's doing, you benefit from the work he's doing uh, by investing about $10 a month in just making sure you're kept up to date every single day. And it's a much more accurate source of information than the lying harlot media. And of course, uh, goodsource.news is also where you can hear from George Christensen, myself, Lyle Shelton, and other Australian contributors, uh, Professor David Flint, Alexandra Marshall. Um, the list is endless and growing, but so is our appetite for more. We've got big ideas and big strategies for how we can uh, better fight the media information wars that are going on or the disinformation that comes from uh, official government departments and uh, the media these days. Uh, there's a collaboration going on there to keep us in the dark and ignorant. And uh, the solution is independent, alternative media, uh, people that are moving away from the mainstream and away from Silicon Valley. That's why we want you on the newsletter and on the website, because those things are ours. They can't take them off us. And that's where you can make sure that you're going to be uh, not controlled by Silicon Valley and, and big tech. You're going to be choosing your information sources for yourself. And hopefully that's diverse. Thank you uh, for those who are supporting us every month already for 10, 20 or more dollars a month. Your support is helping us keep this going. If you'd like to become a supporter or subscribe to the newsletter, please head to goodsource.news. You're going to find a whole bunch of back episodes. A lot of these issues are evergreen. That means they're not just news today and fish and chip wrapping tomorrow. This is information and education on how to be a better informed, better involved voter. And that kind of cultural involvement is how we win the culture war. Uh, this is just one important aspect, this liberty of conscience, this informed medical consent and holding bullies, corporate bullies accountable. Thank you for watching and uh, look forward to seeing you in the next episode of Pillow Talk. Today, we need a special kind of courage. Not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynic, so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.